Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, my name is Michael, and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. Today we have one guest. Our guest is Eloka. Eloka is a trade finance specialist in the city of Toronto. Now we'll be discussing three topics. The first topic is Buhari's interview with Arise TV News. Secondly, we'll be discussing the nomination of Buhari's personal assistant, Loretta Onoche, to be the INEC resident commissioner for Delta, Delta State. Thirdly, we'll be discussing the protests that took place on the 12th of June yesterday to commemorate uh, Democracy Day, i.e. 12th of June was when the was the election, the Abiola election that was annulled by the Babangida administration. So to our first topic, Buhari's Arise TV interview. Phoenix, the last time Buhari gave any kind of serious media chat was in December, 2015. But this time, out of the blue, decided to hold this, for what we gather, it was a pre-recorded interview with members of the Arise TV News team. What did you make of the interview, Phoenix? Hi, Michael, um, and hi, Eluka. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, listeners. Um, I, I, I think um, listening to him, at least, he, he's, he sounded lucid. Um, I, I think if we, if we if we take into account the fact that, I mean, like you rightly said, he hasn't had a media chat in more than five years. And we also know that he, he very rarely speaks to the country except uh, pre-recorded. Uh, I mean, there's, there's hard, you've, you never see any interaction, any press conferences or anything like that. Um, I, think, I think it was good to, to get a sense of <laughs> how the man is doing and how coherent he is. I think he, he made it through. I think, I mean, the, the, the Arise crew tried as much as possible to address the key topics that, were, that are burning right now without really pushing him very hard. Of course, you could see that. And we don't know how much was caught out of it because, of course, it was pre-recorded and they presented it later. It wasn't like it was a, as far as I'm aware, I don't think it was a live live show. So for me, at least they put those those topics on on the table and he answered. And and it was and, and there, there was nothing to surprise you if you are somebody who has studied Buhari and, you know, follow him. I mean, some of the comments that he made, there was no... There was nothing to surprise you in his in his mindset, in his worldview, in his understanding of issues and the solutions that he brings to bear. In fact, he further entrenches the the sense that we have that he was never fit for this office uh, and continues to show the lack of capability. I mean, when when I mean a few a few of the points that. That kept jumping out at me when I was listening because I, I've tried to listen to it again twice, just to I mean get get a sense of where, where this chap is coming from. I mean he's he's uh, I mean the first thing that would jump out of you if you listen to it is we we accuse him of being of of uh, of 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 of, um, of not treating um, the, the people of the southeast fairly. 
and you can see it in his body language, in his in his speech, in his uh, that yeah, that is who he is. It is never going to change. He he clearly has issues with people from that part of the country and would treat others differently from how he would treat them. Um, then you 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 think about I mean his constant ref, um, uh, whenever you ask him how has the I mean country fared he goes into this story about oh when we came in um, oil prices were down the government before us had more resources blah 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 and you, and you keep and, and you know it just sounds like someone with serious cognitive dissonance because. Yes, we know that oil prices are down from um, from the period before you, but they're not down to that degree that, I mean, you, you continue to paint the picture as. The other thing that he ne always neglects to tell us is that, okay, yes, you can see that the revenue from, from oil has gone down significantly, but you've borrowed significantly to close the gap. External debt was $7 billion for the federal government when you came in. As of December 2020, it is $28 billion. That's a 300% jump. At the same time, domestic debt was $8 trillion naira when you, when you came in. It is now $16.5 trillion. So you've doubled that. So, I mean, in between both, that means you've borrowed about $14 trillion naira that DMO covers. We're not even talking about the overdrafts that the CBN has been giving you, which can clearly take the number about $20 trillion naira. So you're telling me that you've received less oil revenue compared to the government before you does nothing because you've borrowed significantly more and therefore you've had more resources to play with. Let's not also forget that in your time in power, the average exchange rate has been about 300 naira to the dollar. For the regime before you, it was about 150, 155. So you've had two naira to one naira that they've had. What have you done with it? What have you done with it? You've been there for six years. We don't see any improvement in, in the base, in the key, in the two key infrastructure areas that be, that be, uh, beleaguer Nigeria. I mean, power and transportation. We don't see anything. The insecurity crisis remains. So, I mean, you take that into account and it just tells you a man who is not, who doesn't have a grasp of um, economic details and able to, to you know, <laughs> that, that maybe some people feed him numbers that feed his worldview and he just takes that hook, line and sinker and, and runs with it. And then you, you then come to the final point and I'm sure we'll, I mean, we'll discuss it around open grazing and you have your president telling you that, oh, I've told my attorney general to go back and look for Gazette that was signed in First Republic, and then we're going to reclaim land. Basically telling us it's going to take us 60 years back and wipe away all the development, all the change that has happened. Undo the Land Use Act, we came after the First Republic, which vested all land in the hands of the state governments. So. I don't understand. If a state government has, uh, who, who the, the Land Use Act gives all the land in their state, has decided to use that land to do something else, you're going to say that they're wrong? So it just, it just you know, it doesn't surprise me from the Buhari I know. I, I hope that people took away 
I mean, people who didn't really study him and, you know, all those all those folks who made mistakes in 20, who tell you that they made a mistake in 2015 and then 2019 are seeing the true evidence of what they, what they, what they put on the country and why, and can see the clear line to the outcomes that we've had as a country uh, and why we've struggled over the last six years. Thank you. Felix, uh, you've made, we've raised uh, two interesting points that I think uh, people are still debating. The first is you said Buhari sounded lucid. Uh, let me bring in Eloka at this point. Eloka, you, I presume you, you saw bits of the interview. Did, did Buhari sound lucid to you? Well, um, now if if you mean if you mean lucid means that's the way he speaks. I think that's the way Buhari speaks. So. He's been lucid for as long as I've ever known him. You know, you really can't place him as someone who has, who's, has the ability to grasp issues or grasp things. He has a one side, one side, one mind track of things. So, I mean, that's how, to me, that's how Boy has always been. You know, this is just who he is. And um, I, I, I didn't expect anything um, different from what he said, you know. You know, I mean, I was shocked that the interviewers were not even shocked at some of his responses. I mean, if I was an interviewer, I would have been shocked. Like, are you serious? You know, but I mean, that's who he, that's who he is. Well, because uh, the reason why I'm suspicious is I've, I've seen an interaction with people who suffer from sort of memory, old age, memory loss type issues. And it seemed to me that the conversation was similar to that because he didn't seem to be answering many of the questions he was being asked and he just seemed to be talking in generalities. You'd, you'd ask him one question and he'd just go into a monologue about something that had happened before. So are, are you, would you say, if, if, if you were, obviously, I, I know you're not a doctor, but if they said the rumors about Buhari having a sort of uh, memory loss issues, what, what would your initial thoughts be? Okay. Um, in as much as I'm not, I'm not a doctor, of course, of course, there are pointers, right? But my point really is, if you look at Buhari's old interviews, maybe before when he ran in 2007, when he ran in 2011, even prior to then, he had a knack for always missing the point, grabs of the question or the meat of the question, and answering on a general note, you know. So, I, I think age age has also affected his ability to really understand what the issues are. But on a fair level, this is how I think he answers questions. He never answers a question directly. He always tries to, like I said, he's one-track minded. You know, he just feels once he, once he, once you ask him a question and he takes maybe takes his his clause or is something out of that question and he goes on his monologue. So yeah, it's possible to say that. I mean, he may have lost some, maybe he has some, he's lost that, he's lost a bit of um, fluency and looks a bit dull. Yeah, it's possible to point at that. But I mean, on my own fair analysis, this is who he has always been. Yes. So well, I suppose, well, time will tell. But yeah. from my own observations, something did not just feel right about the interview. There are many occasions they'd ask him one question and be answering something else. So it did just feel right. But onto the, the second question to you, Eluka, is 
he was talking about, they asked him specifically why he's spending money building rail lines to Niger Republic. And he mentioned that it's because he had cousins there, then talked about how he met somebody who was French. And they, he told them that you guys drew a line in 1855. What did you make of that, Eloka? What, what, what was really going on with, with Niger and his first, or his first cousin? So, um, so what I think really is, I, I think a lot of us in Nigeria have been fooled. You know, I think we've been fooled to believe that some people in Nigeria have the same worldview with us. I think we've been fooled, fooled to believe that we, there's an objective view of Nigeria by all, all tribes and all ethnic groups in Nigeria. And, and again, I'm not part of those that were fooled, but I, I did sound the alarm in 2015 that that the Buhari that we are all supporting today sees is a one-minded person. He sees all his ethnic group and his religious group. So for them, and I and I, and I've heard a lot of people from the North say that they have that to them that they have they, they are closer ties with people in Niger, you know. I mean, if you are from the Fulani group, Fulani ethnic group, they have ties with people in Niger with more than they have ties with people in the South, and you can't fault them for that. There are cultural and religious similarities with people in northern Nigeria and Niger as against people in southern Nigeria. So what Bari was trying to tell you was that those are this is where my alliance is. So it is better I use Nigeria's money, which is for what? For the development of Nigerians, not Nigerians. You know, but he's, he's so blindsided that he doesn't understand what it means to rule a nation. His, his view of life is, how do I ensure that my own kit and kin benefit, even if those, even my kit and kin, though, even, if I, even if it means creating infrastructure for people outside the border of Nigeria. So to us, we are shocked. How can this man say something like this? But to him and to his kit and kin, especially in Northern Nigeria, they think he's doing, they think he's doing the right thing. They think he's doing the right thing, you know? And so... I was not surprised when I heard him say it. It's just that I, I need people to stop seeing themselves when it comes to Buari. This is who he is, you know. He's never been someone to hide away from the fact that he would rather take a billion dollars and build infrastructure in Niger as against taking a billion dollars to build infrastructure in the South, South, or the Southeast because he doesn't think, he doesn't see our needs as priority, you know. And so, again, a lot of people have been fooled, have not been fooled, but this is who Buari is. And anybody seeing acting surprised now deserves, I mean, deserves, I mean, any, it deserves, I, I really don't know what to say, but no one can act surprised, to be honest, because he has never for once hidden his true identity. And so it's, I even like it that people are questioning him, you know, and to a very extent, people are seeing the kind of person he is. Although we, people like, People like me have always known who he is. It's just I need people to snap out of the, I'll snap out of their deception and understand this is who you voted in as president. No, I I, I quite agree that uh, the Buhari I had studied when I was uh, opposing him in 2015 is is the Buhari that we heard speak. So yes, Buhari just basically spoke uh, what he'd always said. He's always been saying for years. My final question to you, Eluka, is... So, sorry, can I add something to this? Yeah. And can I add... My, my, so, we take out Barry from the equation. This is who Barry is. But my question really is to other Nigerians who work with Barry, 
who understand the role of nation building, who understand that a president cannot say this kind of thing and not, it doesn't have repercussions. They are Southerners. They are people who understand that the loan we are taking is going to be paid by Nigerians. So, and that rail line is funding an economic, a funding route that has no economic value. So, how can those people, someone like Rotimi Amechu, who is the Minister of Transport, who is the one signing these loans on behalf of Nigeria, how can you justify that in three, four years, by the time those loans are on our balance sheet and we are paying those loans, how can, in, how can anyone in all honesty say that Nigerians deserve to pay for infrastructure that has no economic benefit to us as a people and is not even generating any economic outcome that can be used to pay back the loan. So again, I question the, I question the, the intellectual or what is the ser I question the, the quality of politicians we have in Nigeria. Because I mean, I'm surprised this is not making news. It's just like now someone from the South is becoming president and he says that he's going to build a rail from Onicha down to Akwaibom and into Bamenda, Cameroon, and say, yes, because we have cultural similarities. I'm sure people are going to raise hellfire. So I wonder why, after the president's acknowledging that, yes, indeed, I am building this rail to serve my kid and king, people are not asking, is this how we want to run this country? Thank you. Thank you, Eloka. My final question to you before we move on to the next topic, I have to ask you this question is, I, I know your, 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 the Igbo ethnic origin. Um, I'm sure you heard that response Buhari gave when he was asked about his approach to dealing with the Southeast, where he, he basically said that there will be like a dot surrounded by other nationalities in the country and they have property everywhere, more or less threatening that uh, it seemed like he was threatening some sort of genocide and seizure of, of Igbo properties. How, how did you feel when you heard that? Again, true to nature, you know, I was not surprised with Buari's response. So Buari is still stuck in that uh, mindset of um, 66. I mean, Buari was part, of, <clears throat> was part of the majors that led, part of the officers that led, led a counter call against Igbo officers. Um, history has it that he followed, that he was part of people that led NCOs to murder Igbo officers. So I'm, I'm really not surprised at his um, response. The only thing is that I'm not sure Buari is aware of aware that times have changed, right? Yes, as I'll say, it's that the Southeast is, Southeast is politically and geographically disadvantaged. Again, if today the Southeast decides to succeed, it will lead, it will open a chain, a, a chain it, will, it will lead to a chain of reactions because everybody in presently in, in this Nigeria is not happy with the current condition. Nobody is happy. And so, like I tell people, the biggest conversation the South is used to have is not with someone like Barry. It's with your neighbors. So, if your neighbors agree to trade, to agree to trade terms and agree to live with you peacefully, I don't see it as a problem. Again, like I said, Barry is still stuck in that mentality. He thinks that um, that the Nigerian state has a monopoly of violence, or that you can threaten people the way you threaten people in the '67. You can threaten people in 2021. I like that. At least we know his mindset, you know. So we're going to work. Anybody pushing for succession is going to work with the mindset of knowing what Brian intends to do. 
you know. And I don't think it's um, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised. Yeah, it's hurtful and painful, but again, it is a man we know. This is who Buari is. So, I, I, I the hurtful thing was Nigerians are going to vote for vote for him, in, despite his history of hate towards the South. Well, well, they chose Buari. There's nothing we can do about it. So we're going to leave. We're going to work. We're going to leave and work with the mindset of someone like Buari. That's that's all I'll say. Thank you, Aluka. I, I too was uh, shocked by that statement. There, there's something about Buhari that other extremists would at least at least hide their opinions or find clever ways to make their points. But Buhari is sort of a take it as you see type extremist. Whatever he thinks about anybody or any ethnic group, he just says it. If you ask him the question, he'll give you the answer. So it, it, it is truly shocking that we have such a character as Nigeria's president. But to our next topic, which is also closely related to Buhari, it's the nomination of Loretta Onoche to become the INEC resident commissioner for, for Delta State, her home state. Now, Phoenix, firstly, there's been opera because Loretta is not only the personal assistant to President Buhari, she's also alleged to be an active member of the APC. So in your view, Phoenix, is, is this, does this pass the smell test to have a Buhari ally and APC supporter as an INEC commissioner, Phoenix? It not only doesn't pass the smell test, I mean, it, it, it flouts the, the law. <laughs> the INEC Act is very clear. You cannot have somebody who is partisan become an INEC commissioner. It is the law. And there's nothing more part partisan than you being a, a, um, a personal staff, if I might put it that way, or, or somebody who is very clearly um, working directly for the president. I mean, this is not just some appointee or something that you can say, oh, it's a neutral appointee that was used to balance the cabinet or, you understand what I mean? This is someone who's very clearly in the, in the president's personal staff. And also, we I mean, all you have to do is just go to her timeline on Twitter and you can see how partisan she is. I mean, this is all who picks fights with, with anyone who speaks against the APC or, or the president and, and all of that. So very clearly, there's clear evidence that she's partisan. And the law says that, um, I mean, you can't you can't have somebody who's partisan be in that position. So one wonders why the um, um, Senate is even pondering this. But let's also remember that this was presented eight months ago. They've been they've been waffling around on this issue, obviously, because it doesn't pass the smell test, and for the more obvious reason of it not being in line with the law, and people have been raising objections against it. And now all of a sudden it has resurfaced <clears throat> and clearly is part of their political shenanigans towards the next electoral cycle. But I mean, this is what we say about, about the state of the country today. <clears throat> you have a judiciary that has been suborned. You have a national assembly that very openly has said that they are there to be rubber stamps. You also have the fourth estate, the press, where a significant majority of them really do not drive the issue home when things like this happen. 
There are a few half-hearted reports. There are the usual suspects that 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 talk about it, as you as you would expect, mostly the online small media houses. But no one is no one is clearly coming at it from a from a logical and very clear basis, putting pressure on the government, putting pressure on on the Senate and making sure that the people of Nigeria are aware that this is wrong. It is very clearly wrong. I mean, out of the over 180 million Nigerians, where must he be this person? Okay, if we say it's for Delta State, I don't know the population of Delta State, but surely, usually what they do is they go and take uh, members of the academia. So, I mean, professors in universities, they, they typically use them to to fulfill this position. So are they saying that there's no, there's no, there's none of those of Delta origin who can take this position? But clearly, I mean, the, the, I mean, Buhari and the APC have gotten away with blue murder for so long that now they they just become so brazen they don't care, because the question is who's going to stop them. When, when, when the opposition in the National Assembly, and I'm one who has criticized the PDP for not doing enough, but I, I have seen that they do try. I've seen Abari Bay, I've seen other people raise motions against something and they'll be shut down. I've seen votes taken. They'll say, I mean, A or nay, and, and you clear, very clearly see that there's a, there's a resounding nay and the, and, the, and the Senate president will pass it as an A. So, so you see all those things happening, and yeah, like, and and you're not seeing, and I forgot to mention as well, civil society are not are not doing as much as you expect. I mean, we know the history of civil society in Nigeria, but all of a sudden, all of them seem to be happy with the status quo. They make a few half-hearted noises every every now and then, but we are not seeing the same vigor that we used to see in the past. So we're in a place where. The current party in power just does whatever they like, and they're going to try to push this through in the same way that Buhari had someone acting as chairman for EFCC for what, what was it, four or five years before he finally decided that he was tired of having that person. So to your question, no, it doesn't pass the smell test. It's, it's more egregiously is against the law that said that, that the INEC Act is, and um, we just need to, you know, continue to make the right noises and and see how this unfolds <clears throat> thank you Felix my, my follow-up question to you is is it is it really against the law because I can see the act here and it seems to me that there is a lacuna because section 152 of the electoral act for example says no person holding an elective office to which this act relates or a registered member of a political party shall be eligible or, or be appointed to carry out the duties of a returning officer, an electoral officer, providing officer, or full clerk. So the, the key word is a registered member of a political party. So she could technically argue that she's resigned her APC appointment maybe three weeks or a month before she was nominated. So technically she could argue that she wasn't a member of a political party. Yes, but we, we know that, I mean, you're the, you're the lawyer on the call. We know that <clears throat> whenever laws are put, there's a spirit to the law. You cannot, you cannot resign three weeks be, before and then tell me all of a sudden the, the, the thought process you had, the relationships you had, 
the, the, even the people who are nominating you no longer matter to you anymore. You suddenly become a, 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 an unbiased um, um, arbiter or person. It's in, I mean, we're human beings, right? So th that is not going to, that's not going to fly. But I remember reading up on this, and I, I think especially uh, with Chima Obani's um, um, letter opposing this to, to the National Association, because I remember to NAS, I remember that he quoted a, sec a section, was it 14 or something like that? Hold on, I'm trying to find it. But I remember that he quoted a particular section, which very clearly says, no, um, aha, it says, Paragraph 14 of part one of the third schedule of the constitution as amended. Okay, maybe it was even the constitution he was quoting. The member of INEC should be non-partisan. So it clear, I mean, so that 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 creates enough room and takes away the lacuna you're talking about. Because you don't have to be a card carrying member for me to say that you are partisan. You work for the president who is who is an APC president. <laughs> what other definition of partisan is there as his personal assistant? Well, yes. If, I, if, I if he is nominating you to the to the to the INEC thing, and something comes up, how am I to trust that you will be fair in anything that concerns the president or any member of his party that you know that the president supports? No, no, thank you. I think on that point, I I think that's the stronger point. The paragraph fourteen of the actual constitution that says a member of INEC should be nonpartisan. I think that's a better argument to make because I've seen videos of her actually attending APC rallies and sitting with the Delta State APC delegation, fraternizing with them as part of the delegation to the APC national conventions in Abuja. So it would be very hard for them to argue that she's non-partisan, but I think they can, they can jump the hurdle on being a party member by just claiming she resigned weeks before the appointment. But to Eluka, uh, thank you, Phoenix. Let me address Eluka. Um, Eluka, what a number of people have asked on social media, and perhaps you can answer the question is, what kind of thought process leads Buhari's government to the idea that it is okay to nominate your personal assistant and party member to become an INEC commissioner in her home state, Delta State, what kind of thought process leads to that? Gregory, the simple answer to this question is the Boris government has no regard for anybody. So it's so you can speak of the thought process. I see it as the um I, I, I see the nomination as ludicrous, first of all. But again, I look at the person who is president, and I've and I've said it several times that Buhari has no regard for anybody and he does whatever he thinks he wants to do you know because i believe that the, the vice president of the vice president of the nation right is what what is is a senior advocate of nigeria so he understands the law you have a son as your minister of power you have a lawyer lai mohammed although he does some funny things who is also a lawyer so i mean i mean you have all these people you have Malami, who is not a son, but a controversial son. So you have all these people around you, people who, to a certain extent, understands, understand what the law says. But you have a Buari who believes himself to be what? The law and order. So again, 
it's hard because when you when you drill down, you say, I like your, when you drill down, you say, how could this have happened in a nation or in a government with lawyers and sons? And you just you just you just goes down to one thing. Buhari as a person has no atom of regard for anybody, not even his vice president. So if he doesn't have regard for his vice president, is he me or you or Phoenix Agenda you have regards for or Nigerians? He sees us as, I mean, Buhari treats us like, well, I say he treats us worse than his own children. Because I, when, when I saw this appointment, I had to ask someone in APC, how foolish who say, whoever submitted Loretta and Onuchi's name deserves to be flogged. Because we are not just flouting the law, right? We are disregarding the spirit of everything in the law. It's, the law says that you can't be a card carry member. Loretta Onuchi is a card carry member of the APC. It says that you should be non-partisan. Loretta Onuchi, he's, he's, she's partisan to the bone marrow. Against this backdrop, you still felt it was necessary to submit her name as an INEC president. So, what are you trying to tell Nigerians? The only thing I will say is he has no regard for anybody. So, there was no thought process. You were like, who, who, who are we, nominated? Lawrence? You send her name. And I'm sure the names just, just appear from somewhere. There must have been a lobby group. Okay, let us, who are we? This, who, who, let's lobby for someone. And the people that lobbied knew that because Boy had no regard for anyone, has no regard for anyone, if they submit a name and are able to convince him, he will send the name like that without even thinking about the repercussions. And unfortunately, currently in the National Assembly, we have two useless leaders. The senior speaker, the speaker of the National Assembly and the House of and the and the speaker of the House of the Speaker of the House of I think we've lost uh, Eluka uh, there. Uh, Eluka, you sorry, I'm, here, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. Sorry. So, my, so we have the Speaker of the House of Rep and the Senate President. And to be honest, I doubt that those guys will be able to mount any opposition to the nomination of Loretta Anoche. Truth be told, the letter, the letter. The letter from the presidency was received in the National Assembly, I believe, in October 2020. I also believe that it is because of the, what I call it, controversy. That's why it had not been acted upon, and maybe they just want to act upon it upon it now. But again, I do not trust that Bajamila and Lawan will be able to mount any credible opposition. My only hope is that the CSOs the NGOs and the People's Democratic Party, which is the opposition party, can mount and say, no, this is this domination should not be tolerated, should not be allowed. It cannot stand the test of time. Thank you. Thank you, Eluka. Um, it's it's interesting because the I was just doing some digging myself, and I know that. Senator Ovie Omoagege, who's the Deputy Senate President, is interested in becoming governor of Delta State in 2023. So I know Loretta Onoche is in his camp. We saw them all together 
at the APC convention that took place at Eagle Square in Abuja a few years ago. So they're all in the same group. So it seems to me that if she becomes the INEC resident electoral commissioner, then it's basically easier for APC to engage in any kind of shenanigans to get Omoagege elected, which makes me suspect that Omoagege is probably going to push Lawan and fellow senators, APC senators, to get her nomination through. But my question to uh, Phoenix on this on on, on this whole no nomination, uh, Phoenix, Eloka has said this is a government with the vice president, who's a senior advocate. There's Fashola, who's also a senior advocate. So, what is happening? How are these people sitting down and allowing Buhari trample? all over the constitution. Phoenix. I, th I think Iluka, I mean, touched on this um, and we've seen it happen all, all through um, the six years that these this people have been in power. I think, and, and, and you know, my my only ask of Nigerians when they when they hear us talk about these things is that they, they take some of the things that we talk about and go think about it themselves, do some research, you know, just make sure that they're taking this away. But and and if they do come to the same conclusions that we're coming to, that they hold these people to account and never forget. Because it is very clear that they put politics before um what is right for the nation or what, what is right in a democracy. So for them, it's always about political calculation. It's always about, I mean, you see Anushibandu who is, I mean, Anushibandu who is clearly um, um, a, a professor of law and, and San, he used to be attorney general in Lagos State. So he's someone well-versed in the law. He's someone who, I mean, people had some regard for before he became vice president but has been very happy to turn a blind eye to all of the bastardization of the law that has happened under this administration, which, I mean, I, mean, I, I do not know of any other government, even during the military era that has done as much as these guys have done. I mean, they removed the chief justice. They went to break down the doors of homes of justices of the Supreme Court and, and, and the federal high courts. They've, um, I mean, refused to honor um, bail when set by by judge. Even the ECOWAS court gave bail to to, to Inam Dukam, if I remember correctly. They they ignored it, and in, in doing so, turned him into what he is today. I mean, so so I mean, he he's been willing willing to I mean stick stick in the government and you know turn a blind eye for obviously it must be for political reasons. It cannot be for legal reasons. Then, I mean, yeah, um, Eluka also mentioned uh, Fashola, who was former governor in, in Lagos, who is also a son. Same thing. He's, he's sticking in there and he sees all these things happening. And clearly he must know that this is not right, but they, they won't say anything. So for them, it's more about, we are in an alliance. We'll let them do whatever they, they do so that when, when it's our turn, we get their support and then it becomes our turn to to, to run the show, and they're willing to decimate the country for an eight-year span, knowing fully well that if this carries on for eight years, we're going to lose, you might end up losing a, a, two generations before you can even get to getting it right. I mean, look at all the things that have happened. Look at the people who are, 
who have grown up through this process. I mean, think about a 10-year-old child in 2015 who's 16 now and will be casting their first vote in, in 2023. What, under what scenario have they grown up to think that this is the norm? Do you get my point? Then you think about people who went into, into who started studying law in 2015. I think they, they would by now have just finished their law school because it's typically five years plus one, if I remember correctly, or is it five plus two? So what kind of lawyers are, are, you, are, you, are you churning out now because they're looking at the landscape and this is what, they, what, this is what has become normalized in, in, in the country? And so for me, I mean, it's, it's just for Nigerians to take all this in, make sure they don't forget, make sure that the lessons that they've learned, that they, that they keep those lessons, and they ensure that uh, they hold all of these people to account one by one if the opportunity arises where um, they're able to do so. Thank you, Phoenix. I, I agree, I wholly agree that it was pretty really shocking that men that we thought, even Osibanjo, who's a lawyer and a pastor, we thought at least one of those callings would put pressure on his conscience to speak up, but it, it appears that that is not the case. But let's just pray that Nigeria stays together until 2023. But to our final topic, the June 12 protests. Yesterday was the 12th of June, which was uh, firstly the anniversary of the freest and fairest elections in Nigerian history. The election between Abiola, the electoral contest between MQ Abiola and Bashir Uthman Tofa. Uh, Abiola was won, Abiola won the elections, but before he could be declared winner, Babangida's government decided to annul them. Um, so June 12th has been declared Democracy Day, and the people of Nigeria, especially the young people, decided to protest against the worsening security situation in the country, as well as the economy and the general bad governance that seems to follow uh, Buhari's administration. Uh, in response, the police fired tear gas, detained several demonstrators and beat them, uh, beat them violently, even, even though the protests were being televised, the police were abusing human rights on TV. So to Eloka, first of all, how is it that a government, Buhari's government that came into office in 2015, relying on the maximum freedoms guaranteed by the constitution, they use social media, they protested on the streets, they used all kinds of newsprints. How is it that this same, these same people are now doing everything they can to stifle the democratic rights of Nigerians? How, how did we get to, the, to this, Aluka? First and foremost, how we got to this was by voting a man who has a history of stifling freedom of speech and the press. I mean, boys, yes, we all agree that Boris regime was a military regime. But even for a military regime, Bry was too extreme when it came to, when it came to matters of freedom of speech and free press. So I'll say this, I am not surprised again that this is happening in Nigeria. And we can point to the duplicity of the Bry government where you had a situation where they have allowed freedom to express themselves, they allowed freedom to march to protest for bad governance. I mean, I recall 
the Occupy Nigeria protests. I remember the protest for um, Boko Haram killings. And I mean, it's funny because these were all recent events. And I don't recall the level of militarization in, the, in, in General Khan's government when these protests were happening. Yes, there was a bit of militarization with the Occupy Nigeria, but I mean, more often than not, people were free to protest. People were free to say whatever they wanted to say, you know? So, like I said, I will look at the profile of the person who is president. However, there's, there's a point we need to, I, I always try to address. I think there's palpable fear in the mind of the president because I think everybody to a certain extent can agree that he has failed. And there's this fear that if he doesn't check freedom of expression and free speech, that the youths in Nigeria have, quote unquote, have the capacity to remo remove him from office. I mean, we all saw his comments about the NSAS protests. He, he missed out the nuance of the protests and all he thought about was regime change. Again, I don't blame him because he's been used to overthrowing people. So when he sees that there is a sudden change in the tempo or in the voices of people, he fears that his regime might be overthrown. Again, it's a military mindset and it's, it's his own mindset. So yes, it's duplicity. I mean, you cannot, I mean, you cannot use these tools advantage and you win a presidency and you become president and you don't want to take away the rights and privileges of people to use to, to the extent of freedom of speech and um, free press. So it's the duplicity of the Buhari government, which you cannot, so I, I it's very hard to isolate Buhari from what is happening because this is who he is. You know, like I said, I, I think a lot of people were deceived or were claimed to be deceived by saying Buhari was going to do this and do that. And people like us were saying, this man has a history of stifling freedom of speech and free um, free press. So he's doing exactly what we projected he was going to do. But I I, today, I am surprised that the essence of June 12th has been missed again by people who rode on the narrative of June 12th power. Bola Metinubu. I mean, I remember a certain JK, JK Fireme was a regular host of Radio Kudirat. I understand the, imp the, the I understand the influence Radio Kudirat had in the political space in the 90s. I understand that a lot of the Nadeko chieftains were also part and parcel of the struggle of June 12. And we clearly know that most of them sided with the same people that annulled the election. Most of them, some of them are governors, some of them are ministers. I dare to say that one of them is a vice president. And you can see that one would, would not be, it would not be incorrect to say that it was not the essence of democracy that they were all fighting for. That for most of them, June 12 was just an access to power. I mean, I can say that, someone can say that confidently and prove, um, and there are points to, to, there are points to substantiate that statement. Because I do not understand why at this particular point in time, in this country, that the people that have benefited the most from June 12 are all silent. In the face of tyranny, in the face of a president taking away the right to freely express yourself, the right to protest, everybody's silent. We have sons. We have the vice president is son, the minister of power is a son, and these people cannot come out and say, no, 
We understand what freedom did for us. We understand what the right to express ourselves did for us, what it did for us in the struggle of June 12. So we cannot allow a situation where people are not allowed to freely protest. So in Lagos, the June 12 protest was not allowed because they had militarized, they had, they had militarized the whole system. There were policemen everywhere. And do people have a right? To, in fact, it is important that people protest because the country is not made. I mean, nobody understands what's happening in the country. If they will keep on, we keep on reading all things are so expensive. Salaries are being owed by all levels of government. So people have a legitimate right to protest. Even if they're not protesting against the federal government, they are protesting against the states or local governments. But, and this June 12 was an avenue for us to remember the struggles, the battles that were fought for us to enjoy the benefits of democracy, to enjoy this democracy, the right to express yourself, the right to assemble. It is a constitutional right. And this present government has consistently deprived people of that right. I mean, last two weeks, there was a, there was a conversation about a, about a Twitter ban. The same old Twitter that this government used to use and rule to power, they've taken away those rights and privileges from people. The same old protest that this government used to show that the good law government was not working, you've also taken away those rights, constitutional giving rights and privileges. The same old right to freely express yourself that they used and used to their own benefit. I mean, there was nothing that good luck wasn't called. There was nothing former political officers were not called. This present government cannot even stand the heat. So, I mean, you, you can point to the duplicity. You can point to the in intellectual dishonesty. You can point to the history of Bari's. But what I, will never, what I will never fail to point out is the hypocrisy of some certain people who rode on the Nadeko wave to power and have suddenly forgotten where they came from. Thank you. Thank you, Eloka. I fully agree with everything you said. Even I am truly sh shocked and, and disappointed because I, I cannot believe that, as you said, it's the same people who were key members of Nadeko. And they, they, I'm surprised they can't even see the irony that the protests are on June 12th, and you who rode on the June 12th bandwagon to get into power are trying to suppress a protest that is supposed to be in memory of the struggle you started yourselves. So it, it is truly uh, shocking. But to Phoenix, the broader point about human rights and democracy in Nigeria, the number of reports, both internationally and domestically, keep saying that since 2015, when Buhari took office, human rights at all levels seem to have regressed, or the, the freedoms Nigerians have, have, have re regressed. And my question is, why are civil society allowing this to happen? Why are the prominent civil rights pastors, the likes of Tunde Bakare, who used to be spitting brimstone and, and threatening brimstone and fire on that, Jonathan? 
why have all these people just kept quiet, Phoenix? Well, what, what is going on? I think for me, very early on in this, in this uh, uh, administration, it became clear to me that a lot of them had been compromised. Um, compromised in the sense that, they, I mean, look, I was just talking about a lot of the members of this um, party and administration were part of the Nadeko wave. So a lot of them came through that activist um, wave and therefore, it was easy for all these civil societies. They were all fighting the same battle at that time uh, against the military um, to, to you know, build relationships. And then, of course, as we came into a democracy and uh, the PDP uh, gained a very strong foothold, they all banded together, you know, in some fashion, um, especially in that 2011 into 2012. Um, wave when they took advantage of the conversations around subsidy to to build a a a, a force against the government of the day, and so it became difficult for them when when their friends in quotes became the ones in government to extricate themselves and retain themselves in that role of you know. Um, society watchdogs in the sense that i mean keeping the any government of i mean of the day honest they fail to do so i mean you, you look across and you see i mean the, the change in the tone it was it was perceptible from the from the start of this administration that the change in tone was more conciliatory that they were more, they were they were they were finding it easier to to um to, on the same topics, to be to be more willing to um, cut the government some slack, which was quite different from what they were doing before. And then, as it progressed on, even though with with the government doing egregious things, you saw the you saw the attack on the Shiites. Mm, we didn't hear anything. You saw the IPOB. I mean, when when the military went in there and 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 according to Amnesty International, killed 150 IPOB, I mean, so, uh, protesters who were unarmed, nothing. Then we came to, to the Lekki massacre, when people, when young Nigerians came out uh, for NSARS, they didn't even bother to join the young Nigerians, you know, coming out to protest. And when, when the Lekki massacre happened, you would even think that that would jolt them, nothing. And so, I mean, with all the things that have gone on in the country, with all the, I mean, injustice, with with even with the way the economy has gone, you haven't seen, I mean, how how vibrant has the NLC been or any of the trade unions? How vibrant have all the civil society organizations? Let me not even begin to talk about the press because that's my, I mean, those ones are just, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that those ones just sold themselves down the river. So. It's this thing in terms of they got too close, forgetting that these people they were getting close to um, were politicians who had political ambitions. And, but at that time, it was expedient for all of them to be protesting together and to be seen to be you know, anti-government. But when, when these people they had gotten into bed with, I mean, this guy, what's his name? Um, uh, you mentioned him, Tunde Bakari. He was on the ticket in 2011. He was on the ticket. So he is a politician. He was on the ticket in 2011, lost, and less than um, 
what, what was it between May twenty May between okay less than a year later maybe about nine months later he was carrying microphone at Ojota leading Save Nigeria group all of a sudden in activist mode and nobody smelt a fish nobody thought that it was out of place but they were all banding together and and doing whatever they were doing and now today they can't they can't in all good conscience you know speak against the people and that's on them. You know, that's, that's on them. And that's the, that's the shame that they will carry. Um, I mean, for in their personal capacities, because we will always remind them that when we had real tyranny, when we had a situation so dire that Nigeria has become the poverty capital of the world, they kept quiet. They lost their voices. So we will, we will always remind them that, uh, I mean, civil society filled Nigeria when it needed it most. I mean, uh, the, the young people are rising up, they, they're, they're protesting. We chose a symbolic day, June 12th, to go out, despite, I mean, the fact of what happened October last year, the bravery to come out again and say, we will not give up, we'll keep sending the message. And they're sending a message against somebody who on, on national TV, was saying that the people who came out in the end SARS wanted to march into Asso Rock to remove him. He, I mean, to Eluga's point, and that is what he thinks. That is his brain, his mindset, that when you, once, you, once you show dissent against him is that you want to remove him. Because he has that PTSD. This is a man that is stuck in 1985 when he was removed. He can't get past it because he believes his God gives God's gift to Nigeria and it's his birthright to rule. And so they truncated that. And from then on, it's been for him about regime security. The fact that he, he refused to change um, his, his, um, his service chiefs for five years, despite they were clearly failing, was also was all about that. So this guy, you, I mean, you guys come out on the street, we make noise. Of course, he's going to send out the, the, the soldiers. But the final point I want to make about this is, you know, I, I was reading a report today, I mean, or, I mean, it was it's a report to, um, generated by the Center for uh, Democracy and Development, where they were looking at uh, Buhari's six years scorecard against uh, corruption, very well done report. I mean, it's, it's spot on, it was tackling the issue on, you know, on, on, on corruption, on, you know, government finances. But the last point was about the, the, the um, the attack on the on democracy itself, and he was speaking to this point around civil societies and how this government has very clearly, intentionally, you know, gone against um, freedoms of speech, gone against you know, attacking people and and you know trying to shrink the the democratic space and the civil space and and of course civil society has let them get away with it because. The same people who could stare down military dictators have all of a sudden not been able to do so now. And for me, it's, it, that report also spoke, it ended by speaking to international, um, uh, the international space. I mean, other I mean, the West, countries in the West who we've always looked, looked to you know, hold dictators to account all of a sudden, all we are seeing is some stupid um, statements that they will post on Twitter, and we don't we don't see the effect. We don't see, you know, 
obvious things that people call for. Put a visa ban on these people and their families. Hurt, hits them where, where it hurts. Stop Buhari from being able to go to the UK for, for his medical treatment and see if he doesn't, if his head will not be correct, you know? But, but, but I mean, Nigerians are quite, I mean, are quickly coming to the realization that we're on our own. And that's why I am extremely supportive of the protests. It is nothing to do with regime change. It is democratic to call for the resignation of a leader who has failed, not only failed, but turned the guns of the army on his own citizens. We are well within our rights to call for that. And it is a democratic process to call for resignation. We've not carried arms. We've not gone up against, against the government. And for me, I mean, the noise needs to continue to send the message that we do not accept this 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 president and his and his administration, and I and and that's why I mean, the the, the brave ones who are who are out there who, who were out there yesterday, I salute them and uh, and 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 this this just has to keep continuing. Thank you, Phoenix. You know, like you too, I salute the bravery of the young people who are speaking up because it's clear that they've been abandoned by the elder civil society leaders who sold, sold them this change. So I salute their courage and the country obviously belongs to the, to the youth because many of these old men are going to be dead in the next, I'm, I'm, I'm not God, but I don't think many of them will be around in the next five to 10 years. So I'm, I'm really proud of the youth who are standing up to take control of their country from these tyrants. But our time is up. So firstly, I must thank you Eloka for taking time out of your busy schedule I, I could hear your, I think it was your son or daughter in the background. So I appreciate the fact that you're trying to babysit whilst podcasting. So thank you very much for that. Thank you, Phoenix, for co-hosting this podcast with me. And finally, I must thank all our listeners for being loyal and giving us helpful feedback every week. But until same time next week, I say have a fantastic seven days to everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Eluka. And thank, thank you, you, listeners, for sticking with us. Thank you to all the protesters who were out um, yesterday. The, 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 I mean, the battle doesn't stop. We keep making our voices. We do it peacefully. We, we, we do not let people hijack the protests and we'll keep getting the message out. Thank you all. And we will never forget. I mean, we do it in memory of those we lost during the Leki massacre and, and the NSARS protests last year in general. Bye everyone. Have a great week. <laughs>